Uh, this morning, we come to our second to last message as we have journeyed through the scriptures this year. We started the first Sunday in January with the book of Genesis. And now we're at 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And then uh, two weeks from now, we'll do Revelation. And, uh, and then we will be done. It's been an incredible journey. And, uh, and I'm excited because next week, as we gather together, we'll talk about Christmas in light of God's story. And the fact that, uh, that Christmas is just the beginning. And the time we're living in now, we have a very specific calling. And we need to recognize that Christmas every year is a continual invitation for us to walk with God and be what God has called us to be. And my prayer is that we would finish the year strong and that we would devote ourselves to seeing the part that we play in his story. The great theologian J.I. Packer once said, If you want to judge how a person has embraced and understands Christianity, then find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as a father. And this morning, as we come to the letters of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, uh, we find a seasoned old apostle writing to those that he considers his spiritual children. And if he could summarize his message in uh, one short phrase this morning, it would be, you are more loved than you ever knew yourself to be. You are more loved than you ever knew yourself to be. Last week we talked about in the book of Hebrews that Jesus is better. Better than what? Well, you fill in the blank. He's better than it all. And today, John wants to help us understand that we are loved more than we've ever understood ourselves to be. And he wants us to walk on his clear path of life. Now imagine, uh, I, can, I can imagine this situation uh, happening. We have uh, one of, one of the, the kids that was here when I was a youth pastor, uh, Miss Maggie Abernathy Baxley. Back, yeah, I'm going to use you as an illustration because you're here. Um, she loves that. And now, I can imagine this situation playing out between Ron and his beloved daughter, Maggie. Maggie calls. Now, now there was a day, kids, where we didn't have GPS uh, uh, navigation built into cell phones. Okay, uh, Maggie's not that old, but, but she, uh, uh, she was definitely on the, on, the, on the early stages of that. But I can imagine Maggie calling her dad from some back road somewhere, maybe trying to make it to John's house when he was in high school because they, they lived kind of far out. And, and saying, Dad, I don't know where I am, and my car's broke down, and I need your help. Now, I know Ron pretty well, I, but I know how much he loves his daughters. I don't think in that moment that Ron's going to call AAA, right? I don't think that Ron's going to call a friend. He might call Dwayne, you know, maybe, maybe or John, you know, maybe go, go help out. But I imagine that the first thing that... Ron would do is say, describe to me where you are, I'll be there in a minute. Right? We can all see that. Right? Any father who loves his kids and he knows that they're in a, maybe a desperate situation is going to go to them. Right? And then when, let's say that Ron gets there and he helps Maggie fix the car and then he, he looks at her and he says, alright, well have a good rest of the night. No, he's not going to say that because she's lost. What's he going to say to her? Just follow me home. Right? Follow me home. He's not going to give confusing directions about, well, go to this, you know, uh, this mailbox and turn right, and then you're going to see a big grassy field with a hunting stand in it and turn left. There. He's not going to give confusing directions. He's going to take it upon himself to get his daughter to where she needs to be. That's what we celebrate at Christmas time. I don't, I don't think we grasp it. We, we don't grasp the fact that God didn't just say Merry Christmas. <laughs> 
that God actually came to us in the midst of our brokenness. That's what we celebrate. That's why we celebrate. Is that Jesus has come as Emmanuel, God with us, and he's looked at us in the midst of our brokenness, and he said, hey, follow me home. Follow me home. And when we look at the books of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and we talk about the love of God, we need, to re- we need to recognize that this is where we're at. This is the God that we're dealing with. This is the God that is inviting us to walk in a relationship with him. And we already studied in John's gospel account, he showed us the truth about Jesus as he put on flesh and, and, he, and he dwelled among us. Or if you, if you like the message uh, paraphrase, not a translation, but Eugene Peterson's own unique kind of take on the Bible, he said that Jesus took on flesh and moved into the neighborhood. Jesus has come to where you're at today. And what message has he got for you? You're loved more than you ever imagined. And in these letters, that's where John brings out this truth of what it looks like to follow Jesus, recognizing that we are loved and to imitate him in this life. And so we want to understand 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John today. And we can really sum it up this way. 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John are all about fellowship and truth. And we won't, we won't deal as extensively with 2nd John and 3rd John today because 2nd John and 3rd John are kind of these personal letters that John wrote. One, uh, Second John, uh, telling the church not to accept false, uh, false teachers. Just a few verses in that letter, and you can summarize it as that. Hey, be careful letting false teachers into your home or on your TV screen or smartphone or whatever, however you want to contextualize it. Be careful with that. Don't do it. Don't let them in, because the moment that you let them in, then you give them a place in your life and in your mind. And those ideas have consequences, as we've been talking about all year long. But then 3 John is another personal letter telling a, a man named Gaius, who's a leader in, in a church, to accept these true teachers because another leader, whose name is Diatrephes, he is being stubborn. Now that may surprise some of you here this morning that a church leader could ever be stubborn. Uh, but 3 John shows us that it's an age-old reality. And he says, hey guys, I know that you're a leader in this church too, and I'm going to send these guys, and I'm going to follow after them uh, soon after that, and I want you to accept them as if you're accepting me, because if you don't, I'm going to be upset, right? He's writing this as a spiritual father. John is, is late in his life. In fact, for about 20 years, John was the pastor of the church in Ephesus. You remember that church that Paul wrote the letter to the Ephesians to? And that he left Timothy in charge of? Well, now the Apostle John, this seasoned old grandpappy, I mean, it's just, this is, that's the, the image I have of him in my head. He's the pastor of this church, and he's about to be exiled to a place called Patmos, where he's going to write the Revelation. But now he's writing to these churches, and his heart is heavy. And so he writes 2 John, which is a personal letter, and 3 John, which is a personal letter. But we have 1 John as something totally different. You see, 1 John is meant to be a circular letter. That, was, that means that it was meant to be read on di- at different church gatherings of different churches around Asia Minor. He wrote this letter to distill some truth to these churches so that they could walk in it. They're dealing with false teachers. They're dealing with specific situations. And so John wants to help them understand how they can respond to these situations with truth. That's what we've, that's what we've landed on time and time and time and time again. Is that as Christians, what we have in God's precious word is not a book of fairy tales. 
It's not some, some cool stories that we read our kids at night. This is the, the solid rock foundation of truth that we respond to certain or we, we respond to every situation in life with. And if you are not looking at life through the lenses of Scripture, then you're not going to be able to understand what God wants for you and what God has designed you for. And don't we all want that? I mean, we want to understand what God has for us, what God has for our kids and grandkids. We want to understand what His will is, what He's designed us for, what He's purposed uh, for us to do in this life. And unless you're approaching on a daily basis... First of all, God through His Word, and then the world through God's Word, you will never understand what God wants for you. And you will never find the kind of joy and peace that God has intended for you to find in the midst of this broken world. Because this Word nurtures our faith. It nurtures our trust. And as, you're, as you go through this life, you're going to be faced with things that shake you to your core. And if you're not standing on the solid rock of God's Word, if you're not looking at the world through the lenses of God's Word then you will struggle to believe the promises of God and the character of God and all of those things that God has designed for you to be built up with and to endure with. And so we have got to come to 1 John with this particular understanding. And the good thing is, is that John is going to, he's this wise old teacher. We saw it in his gospel about how he arranged his gospel. And now we're going to see it in this letter because John wants us to understand that he just has two simple messages for us in this letter. And what he's going to do is he's just going to state that and then he's going to circle around it a couple of times and approach it from different angles. And then he's going to say the next message is going to do the same thing. And if you want proof of this, look at 1 John uh, chapter 1. Verse 5. Chapter 1, verse 5. And if you don't mind writing in your Bible, just take a, maybe take a dot or an asterisk or something like that and put it beside chapter 1, verse 5. Because chapter 1, verse 5, John says, this is the what? Message. Okay. That's helpful. Okay. This is the message. So put a dot or an asterisk beside chapter 1, verse 5. Now turn over to chapter 3, verse 11. Put a dot or an asterisk beside chapter 3, verse 11, because John once again writes, for this is the message. Okay, John, like any great communicator, he wants us to understand that there are two divisions to his book. Maybe these are two sermons that he's preached over and over and over again all throughout his life to help people understand about who God is and about what God wants from us. And so as we go throughout the rest of this message, you're going to see these two messages. And what John is going to do is he's going to use a lot of hyperbole and stark contrast with simple images of light and dark and love and hate and good and evil to help us understand. And so let's jump into the first message, and that's going to be found in chapter 1, verse 5 through chapter 3, verse 10. And this is the message, that God is light. God is light. John wants us to understand what it looks like to live in fellowship with God. And he also wants to remind us that he's not telling us anything that we haven't heard before. It's all rooted in the very words of Jesus. And so more than likely, the way that we understand this is that when John wrote his gospel account, that soon after he wrote his letters. And maybe he even sent them as a companion piece, right? So here's the gospel account. And then here's the way you apply it. So the gospel account says certain things. And then 1 John says 
things that point back to that gospel. I think that's the way that John wrote because he does it in the rest of his books. And so look at 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. This is the message that we have heard from him and proclaim to you. That's Jesus. And we proclaim this to you. That God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. You see, what John begins with and to help us understand that God is light, he's saying that God is light and through his son, through his word and through his people, he reveals the path that he wants us all to walk as his children. Why is the church important? Why is Bible study important? Why is it important for you to come every week and listen to a 38-year-old devilishly handsome bearded man uh, declare the Word of God to you? <laughs> what, what? I mean, is it important? Or just, Ryan, do you just have a, a, a you know, kind of an ego complex and you just like being looked at? I can promise you that's not the case. Why, why are these things, why is Sunday school important? Why is tithing important? Why is it important to, to actually grow in maturity in faith apart from this building? Why is it important to talk to the people in your Sunday school class during the week? To pray for each other. To encourage each other. To check on each other if you're not here. Why are those things important? John says, because in the church we are supposed to have something called fellowship. Now, I know what you're thinking. Last week, we had fellowship lunch, and we ate some really good food, because that's what Baptists do, right? And that's what fellowship is, right? We get around food, we kind of talk a little bit, and then we vote on some things, right? Can I tell you, that's not what John has in mind. John has in mind fellowship being that you walk together. And he uses that word over and over and over again, that you're walking in the light. You're walking in fellowship, that you are participating in the lives of each other, that you're not on an island by yourself over here and I'm on an island by myself over here and maybe we text back and forth now and then or Facebook or I write happy birthday on your wall when it's your birthday or something like that. Like, like that's not fellowship. That's not what it means to be in fellowship with one another as a church. And John and his people weren't facing that. They, they weren't facing the, the bane of social networking in, in their day. But what they were facing was something totally different. But the principle is the same. Is that to walk with God means that I walk in fellowship with his word and obedience to his commands. And that I walk in fellowship with his people. And that as we relate to one another, that we grow together to look more and more and more and more like Jesus in this life. That's the vision of the Christian life that John wants to give us in chapters 1 and 2 and 3. Is that we would walk in the light together. And as we fellowship with Him and we fellowship with the Word and we fellowship with the church, then we find ourselves continuously walking in the light. And to walk in the light means that you don't walk in the darkness. And that, that's what chapter 2 is about. Look at chapter 2 verse 15. 
Chapter 2, verse 15. John writes, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. And whoever does the will of God abides forever. And so John has this imagery of light and darkness in his mind. And Christ comes into the world and he is the light of the world, right? You remember that from his gospel? He's the light of the world. And darkness can't exist around the light, can it? The darkness runs and hides. And so if you're walking in the light, then you're essentially, you're part of the solution. You're walking and following Jesus. But if you're pursuing the darkness, if you're pursuing what's evil in this world, then you're pursuing that which is dying. You're pursuing that which is fading. You're pursuing that which will not endure at the return of Christ when he's seen for, for who he really is. You see, to walk in the light means that you're not walking in darkness. That sounds a little oversimplified, doesn't it? But it's amazing how much we try to mix the two. You can't walk in the light in fellowship with God and his word and his people. And at the same, try, same time, try to walk in the ways of the world. It doesn't work. You're going to fade away like the world's fading away. You're not going to endure in the faith. But instead, if you want to endure in the faith, then it says in verse 17, do the will of God. Because the will of God is going to abide forever. So if you, if you unify yourself with the will of God, with the church of Jesus Christ, with the word of God, then you will do the will of God. If you unify yourself with him, then you will walk in the light as he is in the light. And so Paul goes on in chapter 3 and he tells us, like Paul and others before him, John reminds his, his, his readers that if they want to know what people really believe, then look at the fruit of their lives. Because there's going to people, be people in the church that are going to say, well, I want to walk in the light. I want to follow Jesus. I want to do what God says to do. But then their actions tell you that that's not really the, their desire. We've said it over and over and over again. People don't always live what they profess. They always live what they believe. And so if you want to know what a person really believes, don't listen to what they say. Look at what they do. And so John says it very clearly. Look at verse 9 of chapter 3. He says, No one who is born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him. That's the Holy Spirit and his word. And he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. That tells us that the most miserable people alive are not sinners who have no knowledge of the gospel of Jesus Christ and are living in their sin, but it's redeemed believers who, are, who, who have the Spirit of God inside of them and they know what they're supposed to be doing and continually they're saying no, 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 no to God's will. Those are the most miserable people alive because the Spirit of God will not give up. You can try to quiet His voice, but it's like trying to keep a beach ball under the water. you got to fight it and fight it and fight it. And the moment that you turn your head, what, is it, what happens? It pops up on you. You see, God is light. And those who are walking in the light are walking in purity and in holiness. And look at verse 10. He says, by this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. And that sets us up. 
for the next message that comes in the very next verse. Because the first message is God is light. The second message is God is love. God is love. Now, Harvard psychologists, which you can take that for what it's worth, right? They did a study, and they said that it's very interesting that human beings place a lot of their uh, happiness on conditional statements. You say, well, what do you mean, Ryan? Well, we say, th as human beings, we say something like this. I'll be happy if I get admitted into that school. I'll be happy if I find the right spouse. I'll be happy if they look this way. I'll be happy if I make it to this level in my job. I'd be happy if I could live in that house or drive that car or own that cell phone, whatever, you fill in the blank. We make those kind of conditional statements and this Harvard psychologist, he said, that is actually ridiculous. The psychologist Sean Archer or Sean Anker, he says, Every, each time our brain experiences a success, it moves the goalposts of what success looks like. If you get good grades, you got to get better grades. If you get a good job, now you have to get a better job. If you hit your sales target, now you've got to raise your sales target. If you buy a home, now you want a larger home. The if-then mentality shows us exactly what John's been saying is that if you root and ground what you long for, what will make you happy, what will bring you joy in this world, then your, your joy will be fleeting and fading because you are not wired to find your joy and your fulfillment in this world, but rather in doing the will of God because the will of God endures forever. That means it doesn't change. And so the second message that John has for us is about one of those simple principles that we've heard before. Look at verse, 1 John chapter 3, verse 11. For this is the message that you've heard from the beginning, that we should, say it with me, love one another. Why is love so critical to the Christian life? I mean, you could, you could kind of say that in the first section, John's talking about obedience to the truth. Well, John says now, do you know what the truth is? Is that love is the first step in the Christian life. Why is love so central because it defines why Jesus came. From the Christmas manger to the Easter cross, Jesus' life is a display of God's love for us. That's why I say this morning that you're more loved than you could ever even imagine. Think about what we celebrate, this little baby coming in a manger. Think about what we'll celebrate in late April, the fact that Jesus died on a cross for us. What are both of these things testifying to us? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Both of these things testify to us that God is love, like John will say in chapter 4. Jesus wasn't like Cain who killed Abel. Jesus wasn't like David who killed Uriah. Jesus was not like Old Testament Israel who continually disobeyed and ran after the world. Jesus lived his life for the good of others. God is a God of self-giving, sacrificial love. And to, to try to say that I'm going to be a Christian and do anything but that is to try to redefine and reinvent Christianity. And what the, the way that John's going to end his letter, the very last verse, he doesn't end with a, a conclusion of like, hey, we'll see you guys next winter. 
In fact, just turn over. Look, look at the last verse of chapter 5. Chapter 5, verse 21. What's John's last words to these people that he loves so dearly? He says, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Now, this is one of those places where we just, as Christians, we just say, well, yeah, idolatry, you know, Ten Commandments is bad, bad thing, bad thing. You know, what, you know what he's saying there? He's saying the continual temptation for Christianity, for biblical Christianity, is that we would make God in our own image. Is that we would look at what God calls us to do and calls us to be, and we would be selective with it. We would treat it like it's a spiritual buffet. And I'll take this, but I don't want that. I'll take this, but I don't want that. He says, begin with love and continue in love. And you will be doing exactly what we said in chapter uh, 2, verse 17. That you will abide forever because it is the will of God that you love one another. And when we trust that this is how God wants us to live life, it transforms our perspective on life. It transforms us to the core of who we are. Because people in this world, they're not loving by nature. They're self-serving by nature. But what do we see from Jesus? It's been our memory verse this past week. If you've, if you've looked at it, Mark chapter 20, verses uh, 26 through 28. And verse 28 says, even as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus didn't deserve that. Jesus was so much better than you or I. He deserved worship. He deserved praise. He deserved honor. And he got death. And he was okay with it. How can you be okay with that? Jesus, don't you know you deserve so much more than that? Why would you be okay with that? Because John understands it. Jesus understood it. Paul understands it. Is that dying to yourself is the pathway to victory. Dying to yourself is the gospel. And you are called to live according to the gospel. And so what are you called to do? Love others by dying to yourself. Husbands, die to yourself and love your wife and kids. Grandparents, die to yourself and love your grandkids. And what does that mean? Well, that's why you need to walk with Jesus. Because I can't describe every moment of your life and how you're supposed to live it, but the Spirit of God can. And He can take that word and He can build into you these truths which abide forever and you will be walking in the light as He is in the light and you will be loving the people around you just as God designed you to do. And so he says in, in chapter 4, he says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits. These spirits, he's not talking about like, like ghost spirits. He's talking about teachers. He's talking about, he's talking about these false teachers that he also calls deceivers or antichrists. And these are people who don't believe that Jesus actually came in the flesh. And John is so convinced of this reality that ideas have consequences and bad ideas have victims that if you believe the false truths that these false teachers are preaching, then you will walk not in the light but in darkness just like they are. And so, 2 John, reject those false teachers. 3 John, embrace the right teachers and test them by what they say, by what they preach, and by what, how they live. Because God loves us. In fact... 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. Beloved, beloved, let us love one another, for the love 
It's from God, and whoever loves God has been born of God and knows God, and whoever does not know love does not know God, because God is love. And so John concludes in chapter 5 by helping us understand why he wrote. Look at verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Are you walking in the light? Are you walking in love? That's how you'll know you have eternal life. And then he reminds us, like I said in the end of chapter 5, don't try to remake God in your own image. Come to the Word, submit to it, and honor Him for who He really is because He's so much more awesome than you could ever create Him to be. I don't know if any of you are familiar with, uh, with Dorothy Sayers. Anybody ever read a Dorothy Sayers novel in here? Good, then I will totally start from scratch. Um, Dorothy Sayers was a British novelist who was a believer. And she wrote detective novels. If any of you uh, like a good mystery or thriller, she was considered one of the greats in this genre, which makes the fact that she's a believer so interesting. If you want some other cool facts about her, uh, she was the first woman to ever graduate from Oxford, the famous Oxford University. She was the first woman to ever graduate from there. And so she wrote these series of stories in the 1930s about a detective named Lord Peter Whimsey. Kind of like a Sherlock Holmes type figure, right? But there was no Watson. And Sherlock, I mean, uh, Lord Peter Whimsey was a broken individual. And, and that really came out in Sayers' writings. He would solve all kinds of crimes. And she wrote these whole series of stories and novels about Lord Peter. But about halfway through the Whimsey detective series, a woman suddenly shows up. In, one, in the novels. Sayers' new character is named Harriet Vane. She's a female mystery writer in the story. And she was one of the first woman, women to ever get through Oxford University. Sounds kind of familiar. Harriet and Peter in the books fell in love. And until that point in the series, Lord Peter Whimsey had been an unhappy, broken bachelor until Harriet Vane shows up and her love starts to heal his broken soul. Kind of makes you want to go pick up one of the books and read it, right? So you see, Dorothy Sayers, like Harriet Vane, she was the one who wrote herself into her own story to fix the broken character known as Lord Peter Whimsey. So when she saw, when, 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 when she wrote about his brokenness and she thought about how to bring this story full circle, what did she do? She wrote herself into the story. You see, this is what John was celebrating, and this is what we celebrate at Christmas. That God loved us so much that he literally put on flesh and entered into his own story so that he could fix the broken people in that story. And John's tried to help us understand today what that looks like for us. That if you're not walking in the light, and you don't have fellowship with Jesus, and you don't have a hope uh, in the, of, the, uh, of eternal life, and God is not just inviting you to believe a story, but he is inviting you to enter into his family because you are more loved than you've ever understood. And what you celebrate at Christmas in the midst of all the presents and all of the craziness and busyness, what you celebrate is that the baby in the manger died on a cross to bring you hope. 
and to transform you with his life. But you can't be transformed by a life that you're not in a relationship with. It doesn't work that way. It's not the way a marriage works, right? Marriage is intimate covenant communion with your spouse. If I, if I don't live with my spouse, I don't talk to my spouse, if, 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 if Mandy and I had that kind of relationship and I just showed up on Christmas and I said, hey, I'm back, right? That's not a real relationship, is it? But instead, we walk with each other. We talk with each other. We do life together. We struggle together. We laugh together. We cry together. We live in a relationship with one another. And friends, that's exactly the kind of relationship that God has designed you for with himself and if you're not walking in the light, then what you need to celebrate today is that as you hear these words, that God is inviting you into this relationship so that you can have that hope and you can have that peace and you can be transformed and you can live that life. But I know that many of you in here are those who you've trusted Christ at one point in the past. And so I want to ask you, are you not just living in the light, but are you loving as Jesus loved? Or is that one of those things that you've tried to define or redefine on your own? Are you entering into the brokenness of others? Are you drawing near when they keep shutting the door? Or maybe they're opening the door and you really just don't want to enter in. Either way, you've heard this simple message today from this old man known as John. Love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves knows God. So how do you need to respond today? We're going to come to a time of invitation where you can do just that. You can express your love to God by singing a simple hymn, recommitting yourself to Him right where you are, surrendering to Him, surrendering to His purposes for you. Or maybe you need to make some kind of public decision. I'll be right down here in the front, and I'd love for you to come and for you to tell me, you know what, I'm not walking in the light. I don't have that love, that seed of God's love that's been put inside of me. I, uh, maybe even you believed the truth of God at some point in the past, but you're not living it out. You're not walking in it. And you say, I need help. Guess what? That's what it looks like to walk in fellowship with other believers. Maybe, maybe you don't need to come to me. Maybe you need to go to somebody on your, on your pew and you need to go to them and you say, hey, I need your help. Maybe you need to call somebody this afternoon and say, hey, can we talk? I need you to pray for me. Listen, this, this is the first, like the baby steps of what it looks like to walk in the light with other believers. Maybe that's exactly what you need to do today. Don't do it because I'm telling you to. Don't do it because you feel guilty. And, yeah, I need to go do that. Do it because you're more loved than you ever, ever, ever imagined. And if you want an evidence of that love, think about why we celebrate Christmas and what's been told to you today.